Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by GetOutOfTheMess.com. Let Asha, your independent Legal Shield associate, connect you with legal services and support for a low monthly rate. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old, rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to, think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach, and this is the show where I help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on the show is my personal opinion and is meant for information on educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, today I'm going to talk about, hmm, what am I going to talk about? How about broken tools? (laughs) <laughs> the broken tools that we created when we were children or that were given to us, given to us by our caretakers, our parents, that uh, because they weren't sure how to raise us in a healthy way, for example, for lack of a better term, we learned how to survive in the world with the tools that we had to develop for survival at that time. You know, as a kid, you might be more inclined to want to survive because everything feels like pain and death. Now, you may not see it that way as a kid, but you may not know too much about what could happen if you get in trouble. If you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar, what would happen? Because you know mommy or daddy or whoever was taking care of you at the time was angry. They would say... You are not allowed to go in there. I don't want to see you do that again. So you never went past what would happen. Well, some of us never went past what would happen if we did do that again. What would happen if I reached my hand in the cookie jar again and I got caught? And then when you are caught, this is where the some of us comes in. Some of us learn that there are consequences to getting caught. There is accountability. And when the accountability occurs... This can be a helpful tool. I mean, it sounds awful when you're a kid because you don't want to deal with it and you don't really know the consequences and the difference between right and wrong or, you know, you're learning morality and ethics and all this other stuff. But you learn pretty fast when there's accountability. And accountability really helps shape your decision-making process in the future. I think the problems start and we get these broken tools when we are made accountable for things that are probably not as bad as they are, but our caretakers turn them into very bad things. For example, you reach your hand in the cookie jar and you get a belt on the butt. That might be excessive. It might be the way you were brought up. Or what if it was worse? What if instead of the belt, you went hungry that night and didn't eat the whole next day? What if there was abuse involved? Some people might say that a belt across the butt is abuse. So what if it was worse than that? 
Now what? Now you're learning, you're building a broken tool so that you can use this broken tool in the future. And that broken tool might be what you do when you think you're going to get in trouble in the future. What you do, you might overreact. In fact, you might become a super perfectionist because if you do anything wrong, the punishment can be so severe that you don't want to experience it. So you go overboard and try to be perfect everywhere. Try to be super responsible. Try to be super perfect. I mean, this is one of the things that could happen. And I call that a broken tool because, as you may or may not know, perfectionism, for example, is one of those things that continue to give you stress, continue to give you anxiety. Because when you're not perfect, then you think someone doesn't like you or you beat yourself up emotionally, hopefully only emotionally, but it can happen physically too. You beat yourself up in different ways. You make yourself sick. You treat yourself badly because you did bad. You have that inner dialogue that calls you stupid, that calls you a bad person, that calls you an idiot. And you go through life with these broken tools thinking that they work, that they're the right tools for the job because that's how you learned to survive when you were a kid. That's how you learned to behave. Reaching your hand in the cookie jar meant a beating, for example. If that's your example, that's what you take with you. So I look at this, all these broken tools that we sometimes create from some sort of dysfunctional upbringing instead of a functional upbringing where there's some process of give and take. There's more balance. There's more of an equal justice system where you reach your hand in the cookie jar and you get yelled at. And then you learn that getting yelled at is no fun. And uh, you realize, oh, I don't want to do that because maybe your empathy kicks in because now you see your parents upset at you. And, you know, it could be I don't want to hurt their feelings. Or maybe it's a selfish thing. I don't want to make them mad at me. I don't want to get in trouble. And that could also be helpful. And I'm not saying that one way of discipline or accountability is better than the other. I'm just saying that sometimes when we go through the experiences of childhood, we learn how to respond to future challenges in our life from the tools that we built as children. And a tool is just a behavior. A tool is just a response to the challenge. Just like um, if I get emotionally triggered today, my tool will be to explore what emotions are happening. Oh, you know, I'm angry. Okay, what am I angry about? And I'll drill into the emotion. Well, I'm angry because I'm, I don't know, there might be some jealousy in there. There might be some of my insecurities coming up. So I'll explore using a tool that's a lot better than the broken tool I used to have. My broken tool used to be, oh, I just got triggered. Ah, I'm going to stuff that back down. <laughs> that broken tool worked by helping me stuff the emotion back down. Don't want to deal with that anger. Stuff that right back down with the other anger and upset that I've held on to all these years so that it explodes in destructive ways at uh, inappropriate times in my relationships or my job or my family. Just push all that stuff back down using that broken tool. At the time, I didn't know it was broken. At the time, I thought, this is the way you handle things. 
because that's what we take with us. These tools are ways to handle life's challenges, and some work great, and some don't. Some are broken or not effective. I mean, all the tools that we create when we're a child to get through the situation so we can avoid pain, so we can avoid death or however we define what, we were, what we're trying to avoid, being uncomfortable, suffering in any way, all these tools are actually beneficial if used in the right way at the right time uh, with a purpose, with intention. For example, I'm in line at the grocery store and someone backs their card into me and hits my, I don't know, Achilles tendon, something that would really smart <laughs> if they hit it. And I turn around and, and, and I might get really angry and go, ah, who did that? And I might turn around and see, you know, a senior citizen there. She wasn't paying attention or she was and she didn't realize she hit me or he or whatever. And suddenly I can choose to use a healthy tool of anger and say, what is your problem? Could you please watch where you're going? I mean, that may not be a healthy response, but being able to express anger and have it come up and allow it to come out can be a very healthy thing. I'm not repressing it. There are other ways. There are better reactions like, hey, do you know you just hit me? You can still have the anger and still say that. Um, but, you know, I might be in the moment. I may be triggered. And I turn around and I see this old person and I, I'm about to say something. And then I instead use that old, quote, broken tool and decide, I'm just going to repress this because this person doesn't deserve this anger. This person didn't look like she had any intention of hitting me. It was an accident. So this broken tool comes out. I repress it. And now I have to kind of deal with this in myself because I've stuffed it back into my body. I check out. I go outside and Maybe I think about it in the truck and I'm still angry because maybe she did know. You know, I have all, the, all these other thoughts that come up. Maybe she knew she hit me and she just didn't care. And maybe this and maybe that. All these maybes and what ifs come up. And it gives me an opportunity to explore all these scenarios and um, bring the emotion back up. Because at that point, I'm going to go, well, why was I so angry? Well, I was so angry because someone didn't care enough about me and just ran their card into me. And then I have to ask myself questions like, well, do you really think she didn't care about you? She didn't even know you. And, you know, some of this rationality will come in, but I'll talk myself through it as if I'm coaching myself. It's sometimes, or often, very good to be your own therapist, very good to step outside your challenge and be the observer and talk to yourself so you can understand yourself more. When we're stuck in our stuff and we're trying to explore it, it's, it's harder. I, I mean, it's possible, but it's harder. And we can step out and go, okay, Paul, <laughs> why do you feel angry? I probably wouldn't talk to myself like that, but I would probably say, what's going on? Why do you feel so angry? I would talk to myself like a friend. And I was like, oh, and I would then express what's going on. So I like to explore these emotions when I get triggered or when something happens, um, but my point is that the broken tools aren't necessarily all bad. In fact, each one of them probably has a benefit of some sort depending on the context, depending on the situation, the environment, the people involved. I mean, what if it's a dangerous person? What if I turned around and there was a huge guy, he looked angry, 
looking at me as if he were about to punch me in the face if I said anything. I might, <laughs> I might hold back then because is it really worth it? And, you know, what's going on in him that makes him so angry? And am I going to just open that can of worms in a grocery store? So on and so forth. I'm just saying that all tools can be handy and have a purpose. It's just a matter of choosing which one you want to use. And that's where, you know, self-help, personal growth, uh, sometimes spirituality, sometimes religion, sometimes rationality, sometimes logic, all of these other tools that we have in our system and our body and our brain from which we can draw so that when you have that choice, knowing that you have all these tools, then you have more access to more solutions, to being able to get through more challenges in your life. And so these tools create a foundation in your life. And this foundation is where you reach into to access the tool that you need. So if your foundation is made up of nothing but broken tools that were created when you were a child and not necessarily helpful tools, that will be your result. You'll get broken results. And I know broken is very subjective. We can redefine it in many different ways, but I'm just using that for now. But I think it's an interesting descriptor to use for these uh, tools. That Sometimes we have these broken tools along with some you know, good tools uh, that make up our foundation, and it's good to know that some tools that we have are broken. It's also good to know that we also have tools that are very helpful. For example, when it's time to honor your boundaries, do you reach for the broken tool where you choose not to stand up for yourself and repress what you're feeling and thinking and hold on to that and Go home with it and try to avoid standing up for your personal boundaries and add to the many times that you didn't stand up for yourself before, keeping you small, keeping you hidden, or like the uh, letter I'm going to read in the next segment, invisible, keeping you invisible. If I use this broken tool, it will help keep me invisible so that the world doesn't see that I'm afraid, so that I don't reveal my fears to the world, so that I don't reveal my vulnerability to the world, because if they think I'm vulnerable, then they can hurt me, and they probably can hurt me, because I'm vulnerable, because vulnerability to me is weakness. I mean, these are just the thoughts and ideas and perceptions of the world that we got when we were children, that vulnerability is a weakness that being in fear or being in pain is like a wounded animal and that he could get attacked by another animal and killed and we might have something similar going on in us because when we were young and we cried and our dad said, don't cry, that's for sissies, then we stopped crying. I mean, that happens mostly to young men, but I'm sure it's happened to young women too, that sometimes we learn that it's better to use this tool and hide. Instead of using this tool where we stand up for ourselves and say, hey, look, I don't like when you disrespect me. That's not right. And I won't stand for it. And the other person goes, what? I, I didn't mean to disrespect you. Or they go, well, that's too bad. That's just who I am. And that's just the way I feel. It could happen either way. It could happen another way. But which tool do you reach for? 
which tools make up your foundation, and which ones are readily, readily accessible. Like that low-hanging fruit concept. Which tool is the low-hanging fruit? Ah, oh, somebody just stubbed me in the toe. Which tool do I normally reach for? These are all the subconscious patterns that continue to stay with us throughout the years until we say, stop. I have to stop reacting like this. I mean, if a tool doesn't work and you don't feel some sense of release after using a tool. I mean, that's not always the symptom that happens, but typically when I use a good, healthy, and helpful tool, I feel a sense of, ah, oh, I did the right thing. I feel a sense of, yes, that's what I meant. This feels right. This feels like it's an expression of myself. This feels like I am in alignment with my integrity. And I use that as a validation or confirmation process. Is what I'm doing in alignment with my integrity? So when someone cuts in front of me at the line at the movie theater, what's in alignment with my integrity? I might be angry. I might not express that anger. I might actually give the person the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, did you know that you just cut in front of me? And if they say, yeah, I would have to go inside and think, well, does that make me angry enough to make a scene? Does that make me angry enough to, you know, that questioning process again? However, am I going to repress it? And in this specific example, I want it to be okay to have the choice to express it or not. It's not like I would actually express and make a scene and start something because in the grand scheme of things, I also have this philosophy, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really make that big of a difference. I'm one person farther back. Now, if people started coming in and cutting me over and over again, that would be a different story. I'd be like, all right, this is enough. Uh, but one person did it. Who knows why this person did it? Do I really care enough to stop this? And I like to zoom way out and go, in the grand scheme of all that is and all that exists, this is so unimportant that it really doesn't affect me to the point where I need to make a scene or get into a scuffle of some sort. It's a good time to practice tolerance for people's dysfunctions. <laughs> so sometimes I do that. Sometimes I realize, wow, if this person has no problem doing this, what's going on in his life? that keeps him doing things like this and how many friends is he keeping and how many relationships is he keeping i bet you this guy doesn't carry around a happy smile with him everywhere he goes so he's probably miserable and that makes me feel better but i might have this anger what do i do with this anger this is where the choice comes in the choice to use what i would call a resourceful tool or an unresourceful tool i like the word resourceful I could call it broken. Okay, this broken tool would have me repress the anger and uh, not say anything and hold on to it. And then later on that night, I would take it out on my girlfriend because I was so angry. That might be a broken tool. I don't want that broken tool to disappear. I want to be able to repress when I want to repress. But then I would ask myself, is this resourceful? Is this a resourceful tool? Will this lead to a better result? Because if it leads to a better result, something I can work with, something that gets everyone through the line, so that's copacetic, gets us in the movie so we can enjoy the movie, allows me to address any anger that had come up from that incident, is it resourceful for me to 
do it this way or this way. It would probably be very unresourceful to pick a fight. <laughs> it would probably be very unresourceful to do that because you know, how much more delay am I going to make this movie if I'm in a fight and what would happen if somebody else got involved and what if it turned into a brawl? You know, logic steps in after a while and you make different choices. That's not to say that you deny the emotions that come up because those still have to be handled. But what I'm trying to convey in this segment is that you have this foundation of tools that you can choose to continue to use if you're getting the results you want. If you're not, then I encourage you to select a different tool. And you may not have it, but I encourage you to find out what tools you're using today and where they lead you. Because I like to gauge my tools by my emotional state. Is my emotional state more comfortable and more at peace and more happy more of the time or less of the time? If my emotional state is less than peaceful and has some suffering and has an underlayer of sadness or anger more often than not, then one or more tools that I'm using must be, quote, broken. One or more tools that I'm using must be broken. And you can figure out which tools are broken because when you use them, you don't feel so good afterward. When I could not honor my personal boundaries and I just let people walk on me, uh, the tool I used was repress my anger, swallow my sadness, suppress my thoughts, do not speak out, do not speak up, and do not honor thyself. That was my tool. When I learned that tool made me feel bad, most of the time, I realized that tool is not helpful. I like thinking in terms of tools. I like thinking that all I need to do is change my tool. Because as soon as you start thinking in terms of tools, you stop thinking in terms of consequences. I like thinking in terms of results instead of consequences. What result do I want? The result I want is that when I use a tool, when I have a reaction or a response, to a certain challenge that I feel better for having been in alignment with my integrity. I feel better for not being incongruent, which is when my intentions wouldn't match my behavior. If I was congruent, then what I feel and think on the inside is what I express and verbalize or take action on the outside. This is how I get into alignment. I have this thought. The thought might be, gee, I really want to tell that person that they're being disrespectful. So this thought leads to an action. And my action is, hey, I just want to say that you're being disrespectful and I don't appreciate it. That is congruent. That is in alignment with my character, with the totality of who I want to be. But if I think of the consequences instead of the results, where I say, gee, if I say that they're being disrespectful, they could get angry at me. Ugh, that's a consequence. I probably wouldn't follow through because that sounds like a real downer. I don't want to deal with the downer. So I'm just going to hold back, use this broken tool to repress and not have to worry about that whole scenario. However, if I turn that into what result do I want? Well, the result that I want is that I leave this conversation with that person knowing that when they treat me this way, it's not acceptable. So I will instead be in integrity. And again, there are exceptions. I wouldn't do this with a violent person. I wouldn't do this with people that I just don't want to waste my time with. That sounds cold, but you know, there are people in life that you may not want to waste your time with. Is it worth it? 
That's a great question. Is it really worth going through this hassle? Can I just walk away and the world really won't change at all? I'm not really going to change that person's opinion uh, unless I have to see this person over and over again. If it's a stranger, it's not too much of a big deal sometimes. But if it's somebody you're going to see over and over again and they always mistreat you in some way, it's good to start thinking of results instead of the consequences. But, you know, pick your battles wisely. You do want to get into alignment with your integrity and figure out what your values are and what your standards are and who's crossing the line, what's acceptable in your life, what's not, and just start going after those results. And also, don't waste too much time on people that um, just don't care. I mean, you can. You can try. You can try investing time and energy and letting them know what your standards are, what your boundaries are, which is great. That's I highly encourage that. But when they continue to violate over and over and over again, and they just don't respect you, they don't respect your values, they don't respect your boundaries, and they just don't care, then you have to make different choices. Then you have to really consider, is this the type of person I want in my life? Or do I need to get around different people? Or do I need to separate myself from this person? So I brought up the foundation of tools and what tools you have to work with and um, which ones would be better to use. And sometimes we don't have the better tool. Sometimes we do not have something that we can work with. So we need to create it out of the blue. Uh, and that's when you're going through life and you have no other tool. You're reaching for the old one, but you realize the old one doesn't work either. Uh, what tool do I reach for next? So I'm, I'm hoping to help this person who wrote the email in the next segment with that question. And when we come back, we'll talk about it and see where we get. Be right back after this. you didn't know about this, I want to tell you that there's a service called Legal Shield. You've probably heard of it. Asha is a representative for this service and has a website called getoutofthemess.com. She answers your questions to let you know if this service is right for you. She gets all sorts of questions regarding divorce, speeding tickets, other traffic violations, surprise lawsuits, and even those ridiculous people or companies that are trying to scam you out of your hard-earned money. She hears it all. And if you've been considering what you can do to have access to a service that you can call almost any time and ask any legal question to, this may be perfect for you. They have a family plan for you and your family, but they also have a small business plan too, which can be extremely useful considering you could call a lawyer several times a month asking your legal questions and that could cost a lot. That's why this service is so useful is that you can call several times a month and it doesn't cost you per hour. You're paying per month, and it's it's tiny. It's like a tiny fee. Like the family plan at the time of this recording is under $25, and the small business plan is under $40. It's just phenomenal what they're, what they're doing, and they can do it because they have so many people buying into the subscription that it pays very well for them because not everyone uses it every month. So this is why you get to save a lot of money by being part of the uh, subscription model. And they're ready to talk to you when you're ready to ask them questions. And they've been extremely helpful for both my girlfriend and I and also for the businesses that we own. 
So whether you're a family or someone who's about to be single or a small business that wants to make sure they're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's, give Asha a call and ask her if this service is right for you. Her number is 678-355-8777. You can also go straight to the website at getoutofthemess.com and peruse all the plans and details there. You may even want to get the ID Shield plan, which protects your identity. That is something that can hit you out of nowhere, so you want to be aware of that too. In the U.S. and Canada, call 678-355-8777 or go to getoutofthemess.com. Okay, welcome back. I have a bunch of notes that I've written on this email because um, I really had to think about it. There's there's something going on in here. I don't really have a lot of information, but um, when I get emails like this, I like to put myself in the writer's position and try to experience what it might be like being them. And um, when I do that, I get a lot of answers. I mean, this is part of empathy. This is part of putting yourself in someone else's position so you can understand where they are. That's why, like the example in the grocery store and somebody hits my Achilles tendon and I look back and it's a big guy (laughs) and he looks angry and he's ready to throw a punch because I can kind of read the body language. I'll see him and I'll put myself in his shoes and realize what his next move will be. (laughs) So I might look at that as a consequence, yes, Uh, but sometimes it's smart. Like I said, there are always exceptions. You pick your battles wisely. Sometimes it's smart to look at the consequences and realize it's just not worth it. So that's what I mean, and that's what I did with um, this person I'm going to call Amy. Not that she's some big, angry person that might punch somebody in the face, but who knows? It's a short email. I'm going to read it now. She says, Hi, Paul. I know you probably have thousands of questions for your show, but I thought I would throw my question into the pile. Uh, Not thousands, but quite a bit. (laughs) Thank you, Amy. Uh, She says, if you were taught as a child that you were invisible, for example, my mother would turn her back on me and stare at a wall whenever I was needing support or validation as a child, I recently discovered that this experience has been so deeply rooted in how my life experience has been. Also, when I went into my teen years, my sister was born and I disappeared even more. How do I release this invisibility cloak and be seen? I feel like life has been an uphill struggle where I can put my all into what I love, and it's rarely seen by others because of the vibe I'm still putting out. It's tiring to put in the effort sometimes. Thanks, Paul. So like I said, there's some missing information here. And um, there's something I know about Amy, again, not her real name, that you don't necessarily know, and that is that she is an online personality. She's an author, she's a blogger, and she has a podcast. There's all kinds of ways that Amy puts herself into the world, into the spotlight, and she still feels invisible. So Amy, first of all, I can totally relate. When I started this show, all I was doing was talking to a microphone, just like I'm doing now, And putting out a podcast episode every week, just like I'm doing now. And some people would write to me and 
you know, I would see the show rising in the ranks and the show would get mentioned on websites and people would comment on it and, you know, leave their reviews. And it was me in the spotlight in the dark. And what I mean by that is I wasn't out there with people. I was out there in front of people. But it wasn't me. And the reason I mentioned that you're a blogger, an author, and all this other stuff is because sometimes we put a representation of ourselves into the world. And it's like a controlled clone that we put out there. For example, this podcast is me talking. And I feel like I'm talking directly to you, but it is still a representation of me because it's something that I put out there as content. So you being a creator yourself, understand that when you put content out there, you're not really putting you out there. Or maybe you don't understand that. Or maybe you, or maybe you never thought of that. But what you're putting out there is not you. You are still sitting in your chair or driving your car. That's you. But you out there who wants to get more eyes on your stuff, who wants to get more listeners for your podcast, who wants to get as many people as possible to hear your message, which is a good message because I read through a lot of your blog articles looking for different ways you write and what you write about. I think that it's important to understand that what you put out there isn't you. And I don't mean any downplay of what you do. I think what you put out there is very authentic. But it's still not you. I deal with this too. What I put out there is everything that I believe is me. But it's something that I put in digital format and now it's out there into the world and connecting with people in the best way I know how. Just like when you call someone on your cell phone your voice gets converted into data, which gets reconverted back into sound waves, which hits someone else's ears. So what they hear is a representation of you, but not you. And even if you were in the same room, the way you express yourself is still somewhat a representation of you. Your thought still has to be translated through your vocal cords, through your language, and into the other person. This is why it's so hard to communicate sometimes. We have this thought in our mind and we're trying to express it, but it comes out wrong and they get upset and you're thinking that they're not understanding what you're saying and you're trying, but you just can't say the right words. I can't help tell you how many times I did that with my girlfriend. <laughs> I would say something and I'm and she would respond to it and I would think, no, that's not what I meant. I'm trying to say it this way. And just trying to get the right words out can be difficult sometimes. So uh, the reason I tell you this is that it is helpful to understand that no matter how much of you you put out there, that you still have to convey you through some form of communication. And because of that, it's hard to be completely yourself, the person who's way in there, the person who has all these hopes and dreams and fears and worries and concerns and joys, it's hard to convey all of who you are to the world through a series of communications and interactions. It's hard to do that. 
I mean, we've made it easier over the years, over the millennia that we've been learning how to communicate with each other. But it is hard to convey certain things, especially now that we mainly communicate through verbal language and visual language. Uh, we don't necessarily use the nonverbal body language uh, as often because we're not always together. It's so hard to convey body language over the phone or even worse, texting or emailing. It's hard to do that. Now, the best connections, in my opinion, are together when you're in the same room because there's just something about human-to-human uh, -human interactions where when you're with someone, the vibe changes, the energy changes. You detect so much more subconsciously and connect at such a deeper level that it is in these times when you feel a little bit more exposed and a little bit less invisible. Now, this isn't my answer. <laughs> I'm just speaking one component. I wrote some of these notes and I want to convey these notes, not as a whole answer, but as a part of an answer. So all of these parts that I'm going to go over can lead to a bigger picture of what might be helpful to you. So I look at this and think, okay, I am this broadcaster coach guy on the air and I talk about personal growth and self-help and all of this stuff every week and I do it in my blog. And so me putting myself in your shoes is pretty easy because you have a lot of the same stuff going on. So when I do that, I think, okay, how would I feel invisible even though I have all this popular medium? And so I put myself in that space and and this is another part of my reply to you, is asking myself the question, well, how would I know when I'm visible? Now, I know that you're not just asking about website traffic and downloads for your podcast. I know that that's not the direction you necessarily want to go because you mentioned your mom facing the wall when you needed support. So there's some sort of emotional disconnect or emotional wound there that needs nurturing, that needs healing. But I still ask the question, how would I know when I am visible? I'm using your word, invisible. So I'm going to turn that around, look for the opposite. How would I know if I was visible? I think that's a great question. You ask yourself that question because you need to know the criteria of what it means to be visible. Otherwise, you'll never be visible. Does that make sense? The only reason I say that is because sometimes we go, I just want to be happy. A lot of people say that. I just want to be happy. Okay, how would you know if you were happy? And they might say, well, I just know I wouldn't be sad anymore. I just know that I would be able to wake up every day with a smile and not have to think about all my stress. So I would explore that and, and ask, so what you're saying, if you had no stress, you'd be happy. Well, yes, no stress would make me happy, but also many other things. Okay, well, let's look at one thing at a time. Let's just say that no stress makes you happy. What stresses you today? So now we're starting to break down our unhappiness. Just like I want you to break down your invisibility. How do you know you're invisible? How do you know it? Well, because, you know, when I speak up at a meeting... Uh, people pretend to listen, but they don't really listen. Okay, so now we have something a little bit more concrete. So when someone pretends to listen, 
you feel invisible. Yes, yes, I do. Okay, what if they did listen and they say, hey, that's a good idea. We're not going to use it, but I really like that idea. Do you then still feel invisible? You might say, well, no, no, I mean, because they validated me. Okay, you just gave me another word, validated. So being invalidated makes you feel invisible. Oh, yes, if they invalidate me, if they don't think I matter, if they don't care what I have to say, then I feel totally invalidated. Okay, great. So give me an example of that. Oh, well, uh, the meeting, for example, they might give me a dirty look when I speak up and I feel totally invalidated. I feel crushed. And I would say, okay, great. So now you know at least one component that makes you feel invisible. Yes, I know this makes me feel invisible. So in that moment, when you feel invalidated, what do you do? Well, you know, I, I, I just kind of sink in my chair. I, I don't want to speak up because I already feel like a fool, so I'm, I'm not going to speak up. When you do that, when you sink in your chair and you hold back what you want to say, does that make you feel even more invisible? Well, yeah, it does. It absolutely does. But, you know, it, it already started when they invalidated me. Right. But your next step was to sink in and not say anything. Well, yeah, that makes me even feel worse. I mean, I just feel so uh, invisible that I, I can't even say anything at that point. And if that's the case, can you see how after you felt invisible from them that you made yourself feel invisible and I'm just going to use my analogy from the last segment, by reaching for that broken tool. What do you mean? Well, when you got invalidated, you reached for that broken tool that's designed to make you sink in your chair and keep your mouth shut and keep your thoughts to yourself. That's a broken tool. That's an old tool that's not working the way you want it to work. It's not giving you the result that you want. So my question to you is, what result do you want? Well, I, I want to be validated. I want them to hear what I have to say. And I would ask, how can you make that happen? Well, I mean, they already don't want to hear what I have to say. Yes, but if you said or did exactly what you wanted to say or do in that moment, regardless of the consequences, what would you say or do? What would I say or do regardless of the consequences? I would probably say, hey, look, I have this idea and I want you to hear it. Don't shut me down. That really pisses me off when you shut me down. And then I would ask you, do you feel visible now? You'd probably say yes. I'm just laying out an example scenario. But I want you to start putting the pieces together where you start making yourself feel more invisible after the initial trigger of whatever sets that off. because. I have a slight feeling that might be happening. I, I don't know enough. I'm making some guesses here. But this can happen, and it does happen. It happened to me for many years, is that I exacerbated what I felt to make myself feel even worse than the initial feeling that I got. And I imagined what it would be like to speak up for myself and realize there will be consequences for that. I might get fired. I might get yelled at. I might this. They might leave me. They might whatever. I thought of all these consequences, so I continued to use that broken tool that kept me broken. It kept me feeling like crap. I just kept feeling that way because I kept using the same old unresourceful tools. So in this example I just laid out, there's a resourceful tool that I pulled up. 
or you pulled up in my example. And uh, you said, well, I would say this. I get really upset when you shut me down. I want you to hear this. That's a resourceful tool. It's resourceful because there's some sense of completion in you. There's a big sense of getting into alignment with your integrity of how you really feel. Because I'm going to share this with you, Amy. It's a little unfair because nobody knows who you are except for me. Uh, And I've read through a lot of your blog posts and how you write. I've also watched some of your videos and how you speak. So again, this is a little unfair to everyone else listening. But let me just say this. In all of the representations of you online that I found, I never found an adamant, stern, uh, upset, angry, uh, bold, brash, anything of that sort type of Amy. I never found someone who goes, you know, when that guy cut me off in traffic, I was so angry. I mean, you can hear me pulling up the anger. I am connecting with anger when I speak this way. It took a lot of practice for me to get to this point, but I am speaking from a place of being okay accessing whatever's in there. If I'm still angry at that guy who stole the land from my parents and I think he's a jerk, I'm going to pull that up. I don't really have a lot of anger in me, but I don't mind accessing it and creating it if I have to because something might need resolving in me. Because there are things that have happened in my life that made me angry. And in my past, I chose not to express it. And I held back. And I became the invisible one. I became the person who people walked all over. And I'm just commenting on it. And I may be completely wrong, so forgive me if I am. But I sense none of this, none of this negativity in you. And I'm not saying negativity is a bad thing. I'm just saying that I'm not detecting upset. I'm not seeing it or hearing it in your videos. I'm not seeing it in your words. I'm just seeing someone who maybe wants to keep the peace and believes that the path to a peaceful mind is to approach everything maybe optimistically or approach things in a way where you philosophize it. Instead of accessing the upset, you turn it into a philosophy and a spiritual growth lesson, which they are. Absolutely. But don't allow the negativity to pass you by. Negativity, positivity, it should all be accessible. Just like happiness and sadness. Just like anger and joy. They should all be accessible because they represent the total breadth of the human equation. The human emotional equation. And you have them all in you. So, I want you to start to be aware of what you're holding back when you think of the entirety, the entire emotional experience that you could have as a human. I want you to think what you're holding back. For example, let's just say that you told me, when I think about being invisible, I think about feeling not important as if I didn't matter to the important people in my life. I feel invalidated as if my thoughts and feelings weren't worth anyone else's time. I feel shamed into believing that I'm not lovable. So I just said a very loaded statement there. I want you to connect with the important words in that statement. Invisible, invalidated, worth or value, worthiness, shame, uh, unlovable. And when you think of these words, I want you to ask yourself a question that directs you 
to the change that you want. For example, um, what would it take for you to feel visible today? So the words invisible, how do I change that to a direction of change? What would it take for me to feel visible today? I mean, really think about that because it's very important. And I'm not sure if I made this point earlier or not, but it's very important for you to know what visible means. I think I did make that point. Uh, it's very important for you to know how you define it. So I want you to think of these words and how you define it. What does invisible mean? Write that down. What does it mean to be invisible? Really break it down. And what does it mean to be the opposite? Visible. Because you have to know what you're shooting for. You have to know so that you know which direction to go in. Let's go with the next word, invalidated. What's the opposite of that? Validated. So your question might be, what needs to happen in order to feel fully validated? You know, write that stuff down. The next word, worth. What does it take for me to feel valued or worthy? That's a good question. These are good things to think about because they're going to be associated to other thoughts that you have in your head and you might pull some stuff out that hadn't come up before. Next word is shame. What's the opposite of shame? The opposite of shame might be feeling good about yourself or something like that. And the question might be um, something like, if I could create any scenario in the world by snapping my fingers, what scenario could I create that would help lift the shame? See, I want to go in the direction of the change I want. I want to lift this shame. I want to feel good about myself. So if I could create any scenario in the world by snapping my fingers, what scenario would be created that would help lift the shame? Again, I'm using this example. This may or may not be your words. Uh, another question on shame could be, who would I need to be to help me lift or get rid of the shame? How about um, unlovable? How will I know when I'm lovable? That's a big question, isn't it? How will you know when you're lovable? If you feel unlovable, well, then how will you know when you're lovable? Things might come up right away. You may know this by heart, but I want you to be very clear what it means so that when it comes up and stands right in front of you, you know what it is. <laughs> you, don't want, you want to understand what you're shooting for, what direction you're going in, so that when you see it, you know what it is. Because if you just don't want to be unhappy and you don't know what happy is because you haven't defined it, you'll probably never get there. hate to give you that bad news because maybe you don't know what being fully happy is, but this is why we're asking these questions so you can start to understand so that you can pull yourself out of whatever rut that you might be in and get beyond this. And I'm not discounting the fact that your mom did some very unhelpful, unhealthy things. There, it sounds like there might have been some neglect there. And when you have this type of neglect or mistreatment or whatever you want to call it, dysfunction, I don't know if she's still alive. Have you talked to her about this? Has this come up? If she's not alive, then again, have you talked to her about this? And the only reason I ask that is because the way the brain encodes this information uh, where we have somebody that we're maybe upset with or maybe didn't treat us the way we wanted to be treated or we didn't get enough love, that sometimes it's very helpful to visualize that person in front of us and say what we really want to say to them. You know, if my mom did that to me, I'd be like, Mom, why did you 
constantly face away from me? Why didn't you ever support me? Why did I disappear when my sister was born? Why, why, why? I want to hear her what she has to say. But I'm not necessarily going to be nice because this is my time. This is my visualization. This is the experience that I want to have. I need closure. So I'm going to get adamant. I'm going to get stern. I'm going to be the Amy that I don't see in the blog posts, in the videos. I'm going to be the person that gets some damn answers. And I'm going to grill her for it if I have to. Damn it, Mom. Why? Why did you mistreat me? Why didn't you love me? Or why did you hate me so much? You're going to get some answers. You may not like the answers, or maybe they'll be very revealing. But you hear it in my voice. I am accessing what I feel. I am accessing this stuff that's inside of me. I need you to not be afraid to access that stuff. If you have any fear about accessing that stuff, this is your mind. This is your visualization. You can do anything you want. When you access this stuff, because the brain has kept a memory of your mom in some way, shape, or form and has encoded it and connected to emotions, you're going to get some answers and maybe even closure. Because now you are addressing the way the brain has encoded this memory and has connected the emotions regarding it. I don't know if you have any negative emotions towards your mom. I, I'm making a guess here that maybe you do. But I do want you to be very aware that many, many years of repressing negative emotions towards someone that um, was a big part of our life, we can think that they're not there. So the reason I am emphasizing some of the negativity, like, why did you hate me? You know, if that comes out, if that's a thought in you, I want you to access it and see if it's really there. This is where you can test congruence. Access the emotion, anger. All right, I'm going to be angry at my mom. Mom, why did you hate me so much? And see if it feels like that's in alignment with how you really feel. Because if it is, if it's in there, and you haven't been angry at her before, because, you know, she tried her best. I mean, we make excuses for people who mistreated us or abused us. We, we tend to do this. She was trying her best. She didn't know any better. She didn't know how to raise me. She was young. Don't invalidate yourself. Don't invalidate the, that negativity that might be inside of you. Let it come up. Just see what happens. Because if you start invalidating it, saying, well, uh, I shouldn't be mad at her. That's an invalidation of yourself. Yes, maybe you should be. Maybe you need to be. Maybe it needs to come out. This is where the deep stuff that I'm not seeing out of you, Amy, might still be there. I mean, have you ever heard my story where I broke down at 35 years of age and started crying profusely about my stepfather and how much I hated him? I never had hate for him before that, at least that I knew about. But uh, circumstances in my life at that time really caused me to access fear and anger. And boy, when I found out what was attached to that anger, that's something I've been repressing for so long, hatred came out of me. I was like, hatred? Where did this hatred come from? I'm not supposed to hate. I was trying to invalidate myself by saying, I'm not supposed to hate. You're not supposed to do that. Don't invalidate what's in there. Let it come up. When it came up and out of me, I couldn't believe my ears. I said I hated my stepfather. I yelled it. Wow. He wasn't there at the time. My, um, my girlfriend at the time was there. And um, boy, that came out and I was shocked. I never realized how much upset and anger I had in me. So some of the stuff can be 
very well deeply buried. It can be in there and we choose not to address it or we don't know it's there. So we just go through life without thinking about it too much and trying to look for all the answers outside of us when suddenly we find it way in there. I don't know. I'm just thinking about this emotional well that we have in us that sometimes we put a big giant cover on and it never comes out because we don't want to feel that pain anymore. So let's just bury it. Just like in the meeting, we don't want to speak up because we got that look and I just want to bury this feeling that I'm getting from that look and not speak up, which continues to keep me invisible. Anyway, there's more to say on this, Amy. I'm running out of time. So what I'm going to do is during the outro, I'll say a few more words and hopefully what I've said so far uh, is helpful to you and I'm hoping that you get a lot from this because, uh, you know, anyone listening, I'm not just talking to Amy, of course, talking to anyone that not only feels invisible, but feels like they're not walking the path that gives them the most peace or harmony or joy. I mean, it's not that life is all peace, harmony, and joy, but I like to look at the percentages. Am I more happy and more peaceful and more comfortable more often than not? Because when that answer is no, I'm not, then I like to look at this stuff and bring it up. And yes, some things are unavoidable. Sometimes we have responsibility or often we have responsibilities that maybe we didn't want. Maybe uh, we regret or resent. Sometimes that happens. And sometimes we have to grin and bear it and push through it. And that's going to happen. And, and life isn't always fair and it sucks. And sometimes we have to get what we can out of life. Where can I find the comfort and the peace and the joy and that ever so elusive happiness. How do I get to that place? And this is why it's so important to explore this stuff that might be buried, that might be keeping you from your full, I hate to say potential, because it's not really that. It's your full sense of self, really. It's your full sense of who you are, your authentic self, the person who really wants to present in the world instead of being a representative of yourself. The difference is that you show up as the internal you, not the you that you paint to the world so that you put a representative of you out there. It's a good feeling when you can bring the person that you really are out into the world because that's vulnerability, which is very powerful. It's powerful for your self-worth for your self-esteem, for your confidence, for everything that really drives your decisions. And when you bring this person out, your foundation of tools change. All the broken tools that I used to have, I've either fixed or modified. <laughs> I mean, I have some that I've modified. Like, okay, I'm done being a people pleaser. However, some situations call for people pleasing and not that I'm using it to manipulate or influence, but sometimes my world just goes a lot better when I people please in this situation. If I leave that people pleasing situation at a deficit, at an emotional deficit where there's some unhappiness afterward in me, then I'm probably using a broken tool, an old one. But if I leave a more energized person, I feel confident, I was congruent, my intentions matched my behavior and I felt in alignment with myself, then hey, I made a choice to use that tool and it worked and it worked out great. And now I can choose to use the tools I need to create the results that I want. Doesn't always work, 
but I have these tools in my foundation at my disposal so I can use them if and when needed. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. I'll say some thank yous and then I'll talk a little bit more about Amy's letter uh, right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Asha with GetOutOfTheMess.com. She's great. She'll answer any question you have about Legal Shield. You're not going to get pressure to buy. All she's doing is answering your questions just to help you figure out if the service is right for you. And of course, when you do buy the service, buy through her. She works hard. She takes all the time you need to make sure that you are comfortable and have all the answers you need. Give her a call at 678-355-8777. And I want to thank Tammy and Mark and Jesse and Lacey and Nicholas and Courtney and so many other people that I appreciate helping to support the show through the patron program. If you're learning something on this show that's improving your life in some way, consider joining at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And I appreciate you existing patron members. You are the backbone. <laughs> you are quite a support system. So Thank you so much. Your support helps keep the show going, and it really means a lot to me. Visit patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com if you want to show your support. And, of course, you get um, the private episodes and the workbooks over there if you're looking for that. If not, you can just join to show your support. And you can also go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and click on the Amazon button or the Donate button if you want to support the show as well. And for those who have donated, I've already sent you a private audio message. I hope you got it. If you didn't, let me know because uh, I don't want to miss anyone. And let me mention the Mean Workbook. I talk about it every show, not because I'm forgetful, but <laughs> because it really is an important workbook that if you are experiencing a difficult relationship, if you're in a situation where you just can't figure out why the relationship's so hard or you just can't figure out what you're doing wrong and you're just trying to please your partner and no matter what you do, you can't. You just try and you can't. And then your partner makes you feel guilty and responsible and um, doesn't think you're trying and calls you the crazy one. There's all kinds of things that can happen in a manipulative or emotionally abusive relationship. Hopefully you're not in one. Hopefully you don't need this workbook. But if you are or you think you are or you want to find out if you are, there's a 200-point assessment in the workbook that helps you really pinpoint what's going on in your relationship. And of course... All kinds of resources and guidance to help you through this tough stuff to get you into a better, more healed, more empowered place. And for those of you who have purchased the Mean Workbook, I'm currently doing a uh, rewrite and update. So if you have the workbook, you're going to receive the update for free. You know, there's some misspellings in there. There's some grammatical issues. Um, you know, you can check these things over a hundred times and still miss this stuff. So I apologize about that. But the rewrite is not only going to fix that stuff, but there are sections I'm adding called reflect. And at the end of each uh, major section, I ask questions or I help you consider things in a way where you can reflect. For example, one of the reflections at the end of page, whatever this is, uh, nine is if my partner could do one thing differently... I would want them to what? And this is a good reflection question because these are the kinds of things I want to help expand your mind a little bit. 
not that you haven't thought about this stuff, but after reading some of the information here, you really need a time to reflect because some of it is, you know, revealing and maybe tough and you may have a very raw emotional wound that's, you know, sore and sensitive. So it's good to reflect on this stuff and help ease these wounds a little bit. And that's what these reflect sections are about. Regardless, if you buy the workbook now or you've already purchased it, you're going to get the latest update as soon as it's available. There's nothing you need to do if you've already purchased it. It's going to come to you automatically. So I just wanted to let you know. If you're interested in this workbook, go to loveandabuse.com and check it out. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. All right, to close the show, I said I was going to maybe address Amy's email again. And um, one of the things that comes to mind, like she had a mom that faced the wall when Amy needed support. That is such an invalidating, neglectful thing to do to your child. And what the child gets from that is that you're not important. I don't love you enough to help you through this hard time. You're on your own. And of course, what Amy experienced you're invisible. I don't even know you're there. Or, you know, these are my words, of course. But what do you do with that? So you grow up and then you have all these psychological issues and you have all these emotional needs that were never fulfilled. And now you're trying to fulfill those needs and you get into relationships that you hope can fulfill those needs. But the relationships fail because you need more of what you never got as a kid. I mean, that often happens. But, you know, that made me think, you know, when you have a dysfunctional parent, I had two dysfunctional parents. Well, three. <laughs> I mean, I had a stepfather, a real father, and a mom. And I don't mean they were all bad people. I don't mean they were all doing bad behavior. I only had one parent, my stepfather, that was doing really bad behavior. Uh, and the other two were just a product of their upbringing, a product of their environment. I mean, we, they all are products of their upbringing. But... Um, at least they were trying, where my stepfather didn't really seem to be trying at all. He was just doing whatever he wanted and drinking and being violent and aggressive. And yes, my coaching brain says, well, of course, he was doing the best he can with the resources he had, which is true. But at the same time, when someone is doing bad behavior and you're experiencing it, I like to believe that they can do better. I like to believe that, yes, we're all doing the best we can with the tools that we have. But when you are clearly hurting other people and putting them in harm's way, you can do better. So that's how I perceive my stepfather. He could have done better. He can still do better. He still has issues. But my point about you know highlighting that we have these, quote, dysfunctional people in our life uh, is that the ones with the most dysfunction, they're usually the ones that get all the focus and attention. So I was just talking about, you know, neglect in a relationship or neglect in a family. If Amy was neglected by her mom, her mom may have been the one to get the attention because the family seems to function through the dysfunctional person. I hope this makes sense. I'm trying to explain it right. But in my family... My stepfather was the main dysfunctional person in the family. So all of our behavior filtered through that dysfunction. If he wasn't there, we would behave differently. 
but because he was there, we behaved in response to that dysfunction. This is what happens. Every single decision my mom made was directly influenced by his dysfunction. It wasn't influenced by his love or his connection. You know, he wasn't drunk 24 hours a day, but yeah, for the most part, he was drunk most of the day. But when he wasn't drunk, he was loving and he was connecting and he was great to talk to. But she never made decisions based on those times. She made decisions based on his aggressive and sometimes violent behavior when he was drunk. And uh, because of this, our family's foundation was based on what I would call a toxic logic. And toxic logic is when you make decisions and do behavior based on the dysfunction. So we might say, well, we can't leave the house right now because he's drunk. And it wouldn't be for any other reason but because of his behavior while he's drunk. We better not turn the music up too loud because you know who will get angry. He never got angry when he was sober, only when he was drunk. But we were even making these decisions while he was sober because it became our default. All of our behavior, all of our thought processes became more and more default based on the dysfunction. Better not run the vacuum, better not drink all the orange juice, better not go into that room, all because of his dysfunction. This is what I would call toxic logic. Instead of basing your decisions on your own values and beliefs, you base it on someone else's dysfunction. This is how people-pleasing and perfectionism and rescuing and fixing and a whole bunch of other dysfunctions develop in people brought up in homes with uh, neglect, abuse, and other behavior that causes fear. Your foundation, what you grew up in and who you were and who you were with is almost always the cause of your behavior today. Your foundation, everything that you learned, all those tools, the broken ones and the working ones, are created from the dysfunctional person or people in your home, usually growing up. I mean, a lot of this stuff happens in childhood. Your foundation is the base in which all your decisions and behaviors manifest. If your foundation is a bunch of broken tools and resources, it would be like teaching a second grader how to paint using a feather duster and a high-powered hose filled with paint. <laughs> They're probably going to make quite a mess on the canvas, not because they aren't trying, but because those are the tools they have. Just like your foundation are the tools you were given, so you don't know really any other way to respond or behave in life. You think this is how life goes, and these are the results I get, and this is how I'm supposed to act. You don't even think along those terms. You don't think about, this is how I'm supposed to respond. You just respond. Your foundation is your toolbox. It's where you go to pull the tools you've learned to use. The problem is those tools might be the wrong tools for the job, just as a feather duster may not work for highly detailed painting projects. And of course, a high-powered hose may just destroy the canvas, so that may be a tool that perhaps they should never use. But that's what it feels like. It feels like you're using the wrong tool when you get a response that you don't want. My tools growing up, and for many years, were uh, high judgment, high standards, uh, self-perfectionism. I was super responsible. I had hardly any personal boundaries. I had a fear of expressing my true thoughts and feelings. Uh, lots of people-pleasing and probably more that I can't think, think of right now. So for over 35 years, that was my foundation. That was my toolbox. I had other tools too, like 
a great sense of humor, kind, generous, empathetic, compassionate, and so much more. But here's the thing. I used the, quote, bad tools to protect myself. I judged to control others so they wouldn't disappoint me or make me feel uncomfortable. I used perfectionism and people-pleasing to make sure people saw me as perfect as possible. Because if they saw little or no flaws, that meant they would like me and maybe even love me. I used no personal boundaries in the same way. I wanted to be liked so bad that I made sure to never say what I really meant and always hold in my anger toward others. Now with the quote good tools, I used the good tools, you know, the kindness and the generosity, the compassion and so on. I used those good tools on other people. I laughed with other people. I was kind to others. I was generous. I was empathetic. I was compassionate to all other people. But how often did I use these tools on myself? I had some balance in my life, but if I really wanted to experience a more wholesome existence, if you want to experience a more wholesome existence, you need to apply the good tools that you use on others to yourself. If you honor other people's boundaries, honor your own. If you honor other people's values, honor your own too. If you are empathetic toward other people, make sure you're empathetic with yourself. That sounds almost like a loop, <laughs> being self-empathetic. Uh, how do I do that? I put myself in my own shoes. Well, let's just change that to compassion. Be compassionate toward yourself. If you are compassionate toward yourself and someone wants your time and energy and you just don't have it, you could choose this broken tool to people, please, to say yes to somebody when you really mean no. Or you can use this resourceful working tool that says, no, I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to watch out for me this time. This is who I am. Just like the meeting example, somebody invalidates you or makes you feel wrong or doesn't want to hear you. Instead of using the broken tool of sinking in, trying to become more invisible, use the resourceful working tool that says, you know, I have something to say and I want to be heard. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to use those words, but you get it, right? That's compassion toward yourself. It always seems like um, when we don't feel very good inside, it's because we're giving too much to other people without being compassionate toward ourselves. I just find that over and over again. That's why I love the question, and I said this earlier, if I could say or do exactly what I wanted to say or do in this moment, regardless of the consequences, what would I say or do? Because this almost always, if not always, gives you the right answer. Right meaning the most empowering, the one that doesn't repress or push down negative emotions, the one where it feels like there's some sort of completion. Because the way I look at it, when you push down some anger or sadness, or you really want to say something to someone uh, or get it out in some way, but you don't, it feels incomplete. It feels unfinished. And you walk around with this unfinished feeling and it feels like a dark cloud following you everywhere. You don't want these dark clouds. I don't want you to end up in any type of toxic logic. Think about the toxic logic in your life. If your foundation has a bunch of broken tools and you are pulling them out and responding in ways that make you feel bad about yourself or feel like you're stuffing something down, 
it's time to question those tools and time to work on better responses so that you create better results in your life. How do you get better results? You start honoring yourself. You start being compassionate toward yourself more and more and getting into alignment with who you truly want to be. Just like I was telling Amy earlier, don't add to what you already feel. In the example I use, um, I said Amy was in a meeting. I don't, she never gave me this. I created this example. Amy was in a meeting. She felt invisible. And then she felt more invisible because she sank in her chair and didn't want to say anything about it. Uh, that added to what she already felt. So in order to change that, you have to have a different response. That's the scary part. I know it's scary. It's a leap of faith. But you change that to have a different response because you want to get different results in you. If I said or did exactly what I wanted to say in this moment, regardless of the consequences, what would I say or do? The response that you get inside your head will be what is in alignment with how you truly think and feel. So Amy, thank you so much for writing that letter. And to Amy and everyone else that's listening, you deserve just the best life you can possibly make. Don't get into any type of self-invalidation or honoring people that dishonor you. I mean, that's a big one. We honor the people that don't treat us right. We love the people that don't love us in a healthy way, that don't support our happiness. We support them, but they don't support us. Don't get into that old dysfunctional cycle. And definitely don't make the foundation of all your decisions based on someone else's dysfunction. You are more than that. You are so much more than that. And if you don't think you are, just keep an open mind so that you can step into your power. This will help you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.